Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hi, I'm Julie Gunlock, Director of the Culture of Alarmism Project at the Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today, I'm here with Amanda Zalucki, a practicing attorney by day and an agriculture blogger by night. Amanda, or she may do it during the day as well. Amanda runs her own very popular blog called The Farmer's Daughter USA. Amanda writes a lot about her family's farm in Michigan, conventional farming, what it's like to be a farmer, and some of the challenges facing the farming community in the United States today. Amanda, thanks so much for being with me today. Hey, Julie. Thanks for having me. Well, Amanda and I are actually both going to be in St. Louis next month on February 16th. That's Thursday, February 16th. Amanda and I will both be appearing at Washington University on a panel that is being sponsored by the Independent Women's Forum, the University, and the Monsanto Corporation, um, where we're going to be talking about food and fear how to find facts in today's culture of alarmism. You know, Americans are getting mixed messages today about the food um, that they eat and nutrition and agriculture. Um, They're increasingly frightened by some of the messages they're hearing. I found as I got into the agriculture issues and started writing about them a bit more, I found Amanda's blog to be very, very helpful, very informative, explaining to to a city girl like me um, what these farming terms were, what it really means to be conventional farmer as opposed to organic farming. Um, so again, I encourage everyone to check out her blog. Amanda, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your blog, how you got into the blogging world, how long you've been doing it, and maybe describe a little bit about your family's farm. Yeah, so like you mentioned, uh, during the day, I'm an attorney and at night, blogger. Um, Well, sometimes during the day, but don't tell my boss. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so after I graduated from law school, um, I just, I had noticed there was an uptick in just misinformation and um, people kind of spreading uh, bad information about agriculture online, especially through social media. And some of those avenues kind of opened up and more people were able to use them. It just felt like there was just a lot of bad information out there. And so right after law school, before I started studying for the bar, uh, I had a little bit of extra time. And so I decided to jump in and start an agriculture blog, uh, focusing kind of on what, you know, we do on our farm and then also talking about um, just some of that myths and the um, fear-mongering that was out there, the different marketing techniques. So... Uh, my family does farm uh, corn and soybeans here in Michigan, southwest Michigan. We have about 2,000 acres now. Uh, for the first 27 years of my life, we actually had a farm market, and we sold um, all sorts of fruits and vegetables that we were growing on our farm, and then uh, we had our own farm market where, where we were doing that. Um, and we've kind of transitioned due to a number of factors just to the corn and soybeans now. Well, that is, that's uh, really helpful to know about um, the fact that you're uh, both a blogger but also participate in your family's farm. I think that a lot of people today get their food information and their information about agricultural practices by some pretty unqualified sources. Um, there's a lot of activists out there and, and you know, <clears throat> pretty sophisticated activi- activist organizations, many environmental organizations 
But there's this whole new strain of blogger out there, which I like to call the mommy blogger, right? And and one or the food blogger, right? And and one of the most famous food bloggers out there, and you know, I I say that, although um, I think her star has has dimmed quite a bit. But the food babe um, came on the scene several years ago. She's known for the phrase, you know, no, you know, no safe levels of chemicals, meaning. Your food cannot have any preservatives in it. Well, you know, look, food itself, cantaloupe, I mean, fresh cantaloupe, you slice it open, it's full of chemicals. Everything is a chemical. Water is a chemical, okay? So that alone is kind of an absurd statement. But um, she's she's really trying to get at the use of pesticides um, in farming. Maybe you could explain a little bit um, the difference between organic farming, GMO farming, conventional farming, what do these phrases mean? Because I think there's a lot of misinformation. And also, if you could maybe tell us, is one of those more nutritious, better, safer for consumers? Because, again, I think a lot of these labels come with judgments about each of those different categories of food. Absolutely. And I could probably write several books about the differences between <laughs> organic <laughs> and conventional farming. Um, but, I mean, essentially... The, the organic farming um, is differentiated by the fact that they're not allowed to use synthetic chemicals. Um, it's kind of an adherence to this idea that anything natural is better, and we can probably have an entire debate about whether that's true or not. Um, but the interesting thing is that um, both conventional and organic farming are regulated by the federal government, both the EPA uh, and the USDA, and I guess also the FDA, so, um, you know, no matter what kind of food you're purchasing, there's federal oversight, there's state oversight, there's probably even local oversight for that. Um, as far as food safety goes or nutritional values, there's been a bunch of research done on this issue of, you know, is organic farming better for you? Is there a better quality food? Is it has a higher nutritional value? And the answer is no. There hasn't been any substantive uh, research done to show that, yeah, organic is better you need to be spending the extra money for that. Um, to the extent that some organizations have suggested that it's better or, um, you know, for example, the Environmental Working Group has their dirty dozen list. Uh, right. And, and they suggest you have to buy certain produce, um, organic, or otherwise you're getting some kind of crazy levels of pesticides in it. Uh, the reality is that's not true. Um, all, all food has... Uh, what are called tolerances set by the EPA, and, uh, you know, those are the safe ranges for pesticide residue. So um, I think I, yeah, I don't know the a, exact number, but it's like... Well, I, I, actually, I actually do. Uh, for one, 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 uh, one fruit that is, that is well-loved by children, that, and that is strawberries. Now, what Amanda had mentioned was the Dirty Dozen List. This is an annual list put out by the Environmental Working Group, which is an environmental, uh, which is an environmental activist organization. They put out this list that says if you want to avoid, uh, and they, they use some pretty incendiary words like toxic levels of pesticides, and you want to avoid these particular conventionally grown fruits and vegetables. On that list is strawberries, and they suggest that you should buy organic strawberries because there is a higher level of pesticide residue on conventionally grown strawberries. Okay, now I want to be very clear here: conventionally grown strawberries are much 
cheaper. I'm a mom, okay? I go to the store all the time. I just bought two containers of strawberries downstairs because my kids love strawberries. So strawberries are always on my list, okay? Organic strawberries are often twice or three times the cost of conventionally grown strawberries, okay? But according to the EWG, I'm a bad mom because I'm buying conventionally grown strawberries because according to the EWG, they have higher levels of pesticides, okay? Now, I want to make very clear here, the levels of pesticides that they're talking about in both organic, first of all, organic strawberries are also grown using pesticides. It's just a different compound. It's what they call um, an organic Am I right here, Amanda? Am I getting that right? It's it's a it's it's or it's not. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's not um, synthetic, synthetic, right? It's not a synthetic. Okay, um, but, so it, but we should mention though, in some cases, the synthetic version and the natural version are exactly the same thing. It's just where and, it's and, stored. And, and sometimes the the quote unquote natural version is has a higher toxicity level. I mean, you know the, these. Yeah. You know, th- these things are not necessarily better for you. I mean, let's not forget arsenic, okay? It's, <laughs> it's perfectly natural, but it's it's not something that you should really consume just because it's natural. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's safe. So anyway, um, so the conventional strawberries, the pesticide residue, Amanda mentioned tolerance levels, okay? My child would have to sit down and in one sit- sitting eat 1,500 strawberries. And my child would still, that would take my child up to the safe level, Okay. So it is absurd. Now, first of all, you would die. You would your stomach would explode if you ate 1500. So you don't you don't actually have to worry about the toxic levels of pesticides because you've eaten yourself to death, okay? So it, it's just absurd to tell mothers that they have to spend more money on organic strawberries to avoid a non-existent problem. This is not an actual existing problem. So 1,500 strawberries, that's how many your child would have to eat. And after they eat 1,500, they're still at the safe level. They haven't even gone above that. So, I, you know, I just want to put that, I want to give moms that example because I think that's really compelling. And I think moms should know that you're putting your children in no danger by buying the less expensive produce. Yeah, I didn't absolutely. really end up. Go ahead. Yeah, and the, it's obviously is trying to suggest otherwise without actually giving you the information you need to be able to make that decision. Is this actually a danger or are you just telling me that it's a danger? Um, I mean, I think that their their list and their methodology is flawed anyway, but, you know, even if that was true, there's, even if the conventional strawberries had so much more pesticide residue on it that um, you'd want to buy the organic, it, it's what's the risk? You know, the risk right. is still minimal. You know, and I think, Amanda, you and I probably don't really care about the very well-off mom who decides to, 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 to purchase all of her food from Whole Foods, okay? I live right outside of Washington, D.C. I am surrounded by moms like this who have tons of money and, and just buy their stuff at Whole Foods because, you know, who wouldn't? I mean, Whole Foods is such a pleasant experience, right? Um, but, but what I care about, what I truly care about is there's an awful lot of women in, uh, you know, around my neighborhood who, who also live at or under the poverty line, okay? They have scarce resources. And the idea that these activist organizations tell moms that live at or under the below the poverty line that are struggling to put food on the table, that in order to be a good mom, they should buy 
more expensive food, when less expensive, perfectly healthy, equally nutritious food is available, is immoral. It's absolutely wrong. And so I think one thing that I really appreciate about your blog is it really gives science and evidence-based information about food and agriculture that women can really use. Why do you think, I mean, is that part of the reason that women are targeted for these fear-based marketing strategies? Is it because it works better, because they're, they're likely to react more if, if there's some fear that their child is in danger? Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, too, if you think um, moms are probably traditionally the ones at grocery shops, they're probably the ones that are making dinner every night. So they're making those choices, and it just seems natural that if you want to scare somebody into buying a certain label, you go after the person that's making those choices. So I think moms are just kind of the natural choice based on, on some of those traditional roles. Well, I think also, you know, when you look at actually the polling, women are, are buying the food. Um, the, the, the latest polling on sort of consumer behavior, it's something like 87% of women, of the shoppers in the household are women. They're buying everything from minivans to light bulbs to, 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 uh, to groceries. They're the ones making the consumer choices. And I think these activist organizations know that. Um, I, I really think this has been a fascinating conversation and I could go on forever, but I do want to get back to the event that we um, are going to be uh, both appearing at again, and I want to give people this information. Look, Amanda is is an absolutely fabulous speaker. She is a great writer um, and 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 a, and a great, I think, uh, uh, ambassador for farmers in this country. I think farmers are misrepresented in this country. I think the environmental movement has vilified and demonized farmers and farming in this country. I really encourage everyone to check out Amanda's blog. Amanda, can you give us the, the, the address and, um, and any other information you'd like to promote? Yeah, it's, uh, the address of the blog is thefarmersdaughterusa.com. And from there, you can check me out on uh, my social media sites as well, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Great. Well, listen, Amanda, I, I, I do appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Again, everyone, Amanda will be appearing with me and some other people um, on a panel in St. Louis. For any listeners that are live in the St. Louis area, um, the event is on Thursday, February 16th at 5.30 p.m. It's in the Clark Fox Forum in Hillman Hall on the Danforth campus of Washington University. Goodness, that is quite a mouthful. Um, other people on the panel will be Dr. Steve Savage. He's a fantastic food and agriculture speaker, a writer. He calls himself a mythbuster, and he certainly is. Um, he'll be talking about the organic industry and how they sort of present a, a very, uh, I think, skewed, flawed um, image of, of farming and how you know the, the, they sort of push the myth. Uh, that that organic is better. We'll also have Eliza Halcom. She is a doctor and an assistant professor at at Washington University, and she'll talk about some of the medical implications of this, how people sometimes choose to eat unhealthy food because they're so afraid and they don't understand really what is it, what does it mean to eat nutritiously. We'll also have Dr. Laura Iannotti. She's an associate professor at the Brown School at Washington University, fascinating panelist. She does a lot of work uh, with undernourished populations in developing nations. She does work in Haiti and in Africa, and she'll talk about what it means to really have scarce food resources. Um, and lastly, we'll have Joni Kamaya. 
She is also a blogger and a science communicator. Actually, lives in Hawaii, and her husband, her husband, her father runs um, runs a, a very well known papaya farm. She's going to talk about how genetic modification really saved the Hawaiian papaya and tell her story about her farm as well. It's going to be an absolutely fabulous panel. Again, Amanda Zalucki uh, will also be on the panel. You can hear more there. Go to iwf.org for more information about this event and also to check out our other podcasts and all of our other writing on, uh, on issues of importance to women and to men. Thanks again for listening to the Working for Women podcast. Please join us again next time. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.